You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the Deep. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to chop it up with someone that I consider to be a rising star in the world of film production. Joining us on the podcast this week was David Tensley. And in this conversation, you are going to learn about all of the amazing work that David is doing. He is the founder and creator of 10 Bridge Productions. He also recently released a film that was shot exclusively in the city of Detroit. And the name of that movie is called Project 8. David has a decades worth of material that is online and available for streaming. So do yourself a favor, take some time to watch it. David's commitment and passion for storytelling and creativity is contagious. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, learning about David's background He is an engineer by trade. In fact, he is also a graduate of the University of Michigan, where he received a degree in engineering. Seeing somebody from the city of Detroit putting on for the city of Detroit is something I'm always going to support. So needless to say, we had to show dude some love. Now, all of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only David Tensley. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. And joining us today is somebody that I consider to be like a quiet giant. Who we have on the podcast today is David Tensley. And David has a project out that he'll have the opportunity to discuss and promote. And we encourage you to check that project out. But he has a fantastic background, graduate of the University of Michigan, former California resident, as well as uh, Arizona resident. (laughs) But again, he'll be discussing all of these things on the podcast. But David, man, thank you for coming on the podcast, bro. What up, though? Hey, man, appreciate you for having me, Marquise. I'm good. Man, man, so, so excited to have you. So David will be sharing all the amazing things that he is doing. He has a film production company that he'll talk about that. Prior to this interview, I was actually binging some of his material on YouTube, and he has a decade's worth of material. So I don't know how I can get through all of that, but I'm going to find some time. But diving into everything... I know how dope you are, or at least I'm finding out how dope you are. 
But why don't you begin by telling our listening audience more about yourself, including some of the work that you're doing? Okay, yeah. So, man, I'm born and raised in Detroit, grew up there, ended up attending the University of Michigan and graduated with a degree in engineering. From that point, I moved to Arizona, like Marquise mentioned. From there, I went to California and I started creating my own projects. And now I have pretty much a whole slew of, of films and web series on YouTube that you can watch if you just search Ten Bridge Films or The Marriage Tour, so on and so forth. But even at my Instagram page, at Ten Bridge Films, you'll be able to click on the link tree link that's in my bio and that'll take you to all of my works. So pretty much, man, I'm an engineer by day and I'm a filmmaker pretty much all of the hours around that. But primarily, I'm a family man. I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father of two. And that's pretty much everything with me in a nutshell, man. I love it, I love it. And I love the fact that you're tapping into that creative side. Now, I know you mentioned going to the University of Michigan, living in California, living in Arizona. What was your experience like growing up in the city of Detroit, man? Tell us more about that. Ah, uh, city of Detroit, man. What comes to mind when I think about it is like cutting out the bottom of a milk crate and nailing it to a garage to play basketball because you couldn't afford, you know, a basketball rim or uh, taking a tire and a stick and wrapping it around a fire hydrant and cutting it on when it's scorching hot outside and mm -hmm. all of the kids just sort of playing in the street and getting wet to cool off in front of the fire hydrant. So I have so many memories of just growing up all across the east side of Detroit, man, and, and running the streets with my with my friends or whatever, doing positive things, of course. But uh, it was just back during the time where, you know, my parent was the was also the parent of my of my friend. And, and my friend's mother was also the parent of me, you know, where everybody looked out for each other's children. And uh, again, that was kind of my reality growing up in Detroit, man. It was a beautiful experience for me, so yeah. Okay. So you grew up on the east side of Detroit. What hood did you grow up in, if you don't mind me asking? Man, all across the east side. The first one is actually Wilfred and Gratiot. So I grew up over there, and then from there I moved to uh, a street called Copland, right? And it was right off of Warren. Then from there I went to Promenade and Dickerson, and then from there I went to like Seven Mile and Manny, which was actually the worst of the areas that I remember. It seemed like it got worse as I got <laughs> as mm -hmm. I got older or whatever. But uh, yeah, man, pretty much all across the east side. Never grew up anywhere on the west side. And the last neighborhood before I went off to college was Seven Mile of Man. Now, you also has shared you're a graduate of Cast Tech. We came out of high school the same year. Shout out to the O2. I'm not sure if that matters anymore, just given that we are in our 30s. <laughs> You went to Cass Tech, but then you also went to the University of Michigan. So as a young man coming up from the east side of Detroit, what were your like earliest impressions or your initial impression of the University of Michigan and the city of Ann Arbor? Man, it was it was white. It was completely white. You know, every yeah. school that I had went to, my middle school was Marquette, and I graduated from there, went to Cass. I mean, you're talking 95 or more percent black. Really. Mm -hmm. And Cass said Cass Tech was like 99%. It was like <laughs> you count on, on both hands how many white people attended there. Uh -huh. So when I went to Michigan, the biggest difference was meeting people who were from China or from, you know, India and all of these, you know, different countries, but it was predominantly white. So that was like the biggest adjustment for me. Uh, and it was also, I think, a good entry way or at least learning experience in order, you know, like I, I think I learned a lot there before going into the corporate world. Because again, when you go into the corporate world, you're going to be dealing with a diverse group of people. And I think being at Michigan was a good introduction into that. Because if I had went from like cash straight to there, that it, it just I would have been lost. So. Mm -hmm. 
And I probably should have asked you this question before. I don't know with the reputation that Cass has as far as preparing his graduates for post-secondary success. Did that play a role into you wanting to go to Michigan or were there other colleges that you were thinking about at that time? Man, I had to be completely transparent. I applied to uh, Howard University. I applied to Michigan State University and I applied to the University of Michigan. And the school that I wanted to get into out of all three of those was Howard. I wanted to be around my people, right? I didn't really want to step out of my comfort zone too much. I mean, I would have been stepping out from a proximity standpoint because I'd have been in a different state, but uh, really I wanted to just be around my own people and, and around my own culture. But, you know, God had different plans. And then I got accepted into Michigan State. I can remember that acceptance coming like a couple of weeks later. But all of my friends that I used to get into trouble with back in high school, you know, used to skip school with this, that, and the third, they were going there. So I'm like, oh my God, I can't, <laughs> I can't go there with those guys. I gotta, mm-hmm. you know, figure out a different direction to go in. So what happened is I didn't even get into Howard University. They rejected me, which is good because, you know, I didn't have to leave my mother and my sister. I grew up in a single parent household and I was the only male and I wanted to sort of be close to them. So I ended up calling Michigan and literally it was this guy by the name of Tyrone Winfrey. I'm sure you probably heard it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called and I was like, hey, uh, did you guys accept me yet? They were like, well, based on the ACT scores and this, that, and the third, probably won't be getting into the school, right? And then he called me back later and said, hey, and this was Tyrone Winfrey. He said, well, if you complete a bridge program, if you get a 3.5 or higher, and that summer program will admit you into the fall. Mm. And then I ended up doing it. So I went to school a few months earlier, ended up getting eight credits before the fall semester even started. And I got the 3.5 and that, you know, admitted me into to the school for good or whatever. So that's kind of how that happened. But I was happy for that opportunity because when I went there, I was focused. And again, I wasn't around all of my friends that I was getting into trouble with in mm. high school. And it was just a brand new experience for me. So. Shout out to Tyrone Winfrey. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. heard that name many times. And then also shout out to the uh, CSP program. I had the opportunity to work with those individuals at one point. Oh, and yeah. they do some amazing things there. We have people who have been on the podcast have shared so much about that program. So shout out to those individuals there. Yes, sir. Now, coming from the D, you're admitted into the Summer Bridge program. You get those eight credits. What did your village look like for you at that time when you were on Michigan's campus? Man, it was beautiful. The people I came in the bridge with were, it was mostly black people. So that ended up being my family from the point we got there all the way to the point where I graduated. Funny thing is, is that I was exposed to all of these different ethnicities and and different people belonging to different backgrounds. I kind of stayed with my village and even in the school of engineering, it was a select few of us, like Nelson, Matthew Nelson, and a guy by the name of Darren Hinton, Nicole Francis, just black folks who just kind of studied with each other all night, you know, so we helped each other to get through that thing. So I didn't have a whole lot of interaction with people from different races because we were such a tight group coming into Bridge. So you complete your degree in engineering, and where did life take you after that? So I worked my last two years at a place called General Dynamics, and you even hear me reference that in a project, Project 8, that you saw. But anyway, I ended up working there as an intern for the last two years of college, and they offered me a full-time position. But again, I didn't want to stay in Michigan. I'm like, well, I want to come back at some point, but let me go ahead and and experience the world right now where, you know, where I don't have a kid, I don't have a wife, so on and so forth. So what ended up happening is that I took a job at this place called Emphasis Technologies Limited, right? And what the requirement there was was for me to fly to India for six months and train there to be a software engineer. Mind you, I didn't know anything about software engineering. 
right? We had to take a one programming class as a, as a requirement in college. But again, I'm not a programmer, but I had to go there and actually train for six months and live there for six months. I started off in a place called Mysore. Then I ended up in Chennai my last two months there. But I had never been on a plane before prior to this. So I could just remember <laughs> going to the airport and uh, I'm trying to stay strong for my family. And then I turn around and look and my mother broke down because I had never, I, I never left, you know? And then I get on the plane and I'm crying for at least the first two hours of the ride, you know, because I'm not coming back and I've never been on the plane. And then I get there and the air smells different. The people look different. People are staring at me more than they're staring at the, the white people that came on that trip with me. I'm the only black guy of 23 people who was selected. And people always ask me, why do they stare at you more? You like the same complexion. Well, because they couldn't quite figure me out. I didn't, I wasn't like African, right? Because they had a lot of African tourists who would come over there and visit. And they were used to a lot of white people coming over there and visit. For me, it was like, well, what is, you know, so I would get a lot of stares, man. But I'm glad I chose that path. So you were out there for six months and this is your first time on a plane going to India. Yeah. yeah. Damn. It's not often somebody from the D, east side of Detroit, has an opportunity to go over to India and work as a software or train to become a software engineer. But what did you learn about yourself during that time? Uh, man, I learned how resilient I was. I learned how how bad I wanted. I'll give you two incidents that occurred. One is that I was making 2,000 rupees over there. No, I'm sorry, 60,000 rupees a month. And that equated to $2,000 at the time. So my sister, who had my niece at the time, right, she was only maybe like a a year old, a couple of years old or whatever. And then my mother, who also was back home in Detroit, I would send them home $500 each. My mama, I would send her $500 to help with bills, and then I send my sister home $500 to help with her bills, and then I keep the other thousand and just save it up until I left and moved to Arizona, right? But again, you had to pass that program in order to get the job in Arizona. Right. And for me, it was dire. And I can remember my first two months there, I had an old laptop, you know what I'm saying, that somebody had gave me and a hard drive filled them. Mm-hmm. Right. And just to tell you how how bad it was, right, I, the hard drive filled, I called my mother, I'm like, mom, I need a new hard drive. She ordered it and she sent it to me, right? This was during month two and it didn't come to me until after I had already left and went there. <laughs> it took four months for this whole hard drive thing to get through cuz all of that. So for the last four months, I didn't, I didn't have a laptop, but I didn't tell anybody else there because I didn't want them to look at me as like a victim or something like that or feel sorry for it. So what I ended up doing is staying in the place where we studied. It was like the schools or the classrooms or whatever. I ended up staying there like to two in the morning every night. And it was different for the, for the white folks that I came over there with who had laptops and didn't have hard drive problems because right after class at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m., they would just go home and study within the comfort of their room. But I was there at the at the facility with the other Indian folks because there were a lot of Indian people on campus too, and they didn't have the luxury to have a hard drive. So it gave me a chance to become immersed in their culture even more and to learn from them and to have conversations with them as opposed to some of my other people who I went over there with. They could just go back to their room stay secluded, so to speak. So it just taught me how resilient I was because in my mind, I had to get through it by any means necessary. And out of 23 people, I was the third in terms of academics when I came back. Man, you definitely represent the name of the podcast, Detroit Worldwide. I mean, hey, all, man, the Indian, me. <laughs> <laughs> all the India, you know, with a, a computer that isn't working, but you still made it away. And then you, after that, you ended up going to Arizona, correct? 
I went to Arizona, so I started, I worked for that company, Emphasis Technologies Limited, but it was an Indian-based company. That's the reason why they took us over there to India to train us, because it was much cheaper for them to train us over there. Mind you, it was only paying us 2000 US dollars a month during that time, mm-hmm. right? But of course, the food and all of that stuff was, was paid for. You can live like a king over there for a couple of hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. especially where we were living at. So uh, by the time I came back, I worked as a I was still with that same company, but I was contracted to work for American Express. And I worked there for a minute. And then maybe a few months later, I ended up getting a call in Lockheed Martin, IS and GS. I think that was the business unit. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but they were hiring. So I get a call. I'm like, Lockheed? And every engineer that you talk to know who Lockheed is. And they called me. I went in to interview, man, and this lady by the name of Mickey Rayleigh Mickey Martin is her name now because she got married, but she gave me a shot. She said, hey, your resume is horrible, but you're charming. <laughs> and that's exactly what she said to me. And that taught me some things. You know, if I hadn't come from Detroit, Detroit, man, we have a reputation for being charismatic, but having a certain aura and confidence about us and a gift of gab. So again, even though I didn't have the skills to make my resume look like it needed to, I had the social skills and that kind of got me through the door there. So I worked there for a minute and I eventually ended up getting a promotion, which landed me in California in 2009. Hmm, hmm. So you're out in California, bro, and you're out there for a considerable amount of time. But while you're out there, did you have the idea to start the film production company or was it something that was kind of, kind of like in your head this in, the entire time? Man, when I was in Arizona, I did a few plays. I ended up auditioning for a play uh, for the Black Theater Troupe out there that's ran by this guy named Dave Hankfield. And when I auditioned for the play, literally before I could even get to the parking lot back to my car, he was like, hey, not only do I want you to do this play, but I want you to do another one. I ended up doing the August Wilson piece by, I think it was named Jim of the Ocean. That was the name of the play. And then I did another play called Revenge of a King, which ended up getting accepted to the National Black Theater Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I did two or three different plays out there. So I already knew that when I got to California, I would do the same thing. I ended up meeting with a guy by the name of Harry Lennox, who actually saw me in a play when I lived in Arizona. And this guy was in the Five Heartbeats. He was in the Matrix, all of these different things. And I can remember when I was in Arizona, after a play, I asked for his advice. Hey. You know, I'm trying to get more into this film thing, theater thing. What should I do? He said, move to California. So that was the whole reason why I ended up applying for a job out there. And I knew Lockheed Martin had another location out in California. So when I went there, first thing I did was met with Harry. And he told me, he said, hey, you need to go and look for this magazine called Backstage West, where you can look for auditions and this, that, third. I ended up auditioning for some plays and I participated in a few plays. One uh, called Heaven Can Wait. And then another one called Rumors, written by a guy by the name of Neil Simon. So I did these two plays, and then I auditioned for a few more, but the roles were stuff that I just wasn't feeling. Like, I wasn't trying to play no thug or no crip or no blood or no gangster or no pimp. I wasn't really trying to play any of these type of roles. I just wanted to play roles that show Black people in a a positive yet realistic light. So my wife, who by this time, mind you, we met when we were at Michigan. So we did four and a half years long distance. So the whole time I was in Arizona, she was in dental school, Mm. right? And then by the time I got to California, a few years later, she had moved out there to do her residency at UCLA. So by this time, my wife had been out there with me and she said, instead of you complaining about all these roles and this, that, and the third, and how, you know, they're not a good match for you and they're poor characters, how about you create your own stuff? I'm like, damn, I had never thought about that. So her whole mindset was instead of you complaining, why don't you be a part of the solution and put your energy towards that? 
And I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I started using my engineering dollars to basically fund my film. And that kind of led to me shooting my very first film, which was called Something Different. That's on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. And then it led to me doing the Mirrors Tour, which is a series that I shot three seasons of. And all of the actors that I had met out in California, I put them in it without having to audition or anything because I just wanted to create a space where we can work on our tools so that when the big opportunities came up, they'd be sharp and ready. You know what I'm saying? Man, I love that, bro. And I'm not sure if it's a Detroit thing or even a black thing, but just having that sense of community and that collectivism, I think that's something that's instilled in us. So then I know your wife put the bug in your ear as far as like you doing your own thing, but like what did the formal process look like for you in founding your film company? Really, I was spending so much money on these projects that I can remember, you know, my wife again, Bridget Tinsley, she was like, you know, we're spending all this money, but you can't write it off. (laughs) So it led to me figuring out how to get my LLC. So I ended up Mm -hmm. connecting with another young lady uh, by the name of uh, Tanisha Reed. And she actually helped me. She filled out the paperwork for me and everything. And I paid her a fee. We both went to Michigan together. So I trust her, not Michigan, but Cass Tech. And she she submitted that information for me. I got my LLC and it legitimized me. And then all of this money that I was spending and paying people and buying food and set pieces and this, that, and the third, renting cameras, I was actually able to write it off from that point forward, right? But mind you, I had been filming for so many years. We're talking from 2011 all the way to what's now is 2020. And this is the first project that I've actually monetized off of. So I did this for nine years and gave it away for free. And then I got to a point where now it's like, eh, I got to make something off of it. I got kids, I got a wife, I got a legacy that I'm trying to build. Generational wealth, all of those things create different streams of revenue. So again, it was my wife who basically got me into the whole business minded thing because otherwise you just you're working for what? Man, shout out to the wife. And I saw, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, she's a dentist. And I'm thinking like, yo, you an engineer. Like, that's dope. Like, I'm just... Man, <laughs> it's, it's, cra- it's, cra- it's crazy, man. We that's And it's, it's just it's a blessing, man. I think a lot of people in California who would come around us, man, we were like kind of unicorns to them. And that was, that was cool. But yet it also let me know that as a whole, Black people had so much far to go because that you know should have been a common thing right but it's 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 all about having access to things and thank god for affirmative action because i wouldn't have been here without my wife would have because she came from a a dual parent household and just had access to a little bit more no that's dope man shout out to her for giving you the inspiration and shout out to her for being a dentist too that's dope absolutely man so in light of all of this and we're going to talk about your film project eight in a little bit Mm-hmm. Some of your work has been recognized by some film festivals or have been featured there. Could you, like, describe that feeling? Yeah, I did this project, man, called Prima Fossi. And it was uh, me and a guy by the name of Cedric Sanders who's, who's doing this thing, too, out in California. But, again, I did this project, and it pretty much was about a guy who was a politician, right? And he ends up being robbed by a person, and they go on this car ride, this long car ride where they start talking about politics. Um, mm-hmm. almost like a liberal versus a conservative sort of debate or conversation that takes place. And I knew it would be something edgy. I knew it would be something controversial. And I knew it would be something that film festivals would probably bite on. And then I ended up getting accepted into like five or six. I think San Francisco Black Film Festival, the Hollywood Black Film Festival. There was the Sacramento Black Film Festival, uh, to just to name a few, man. And it was good to be able to be in the audience and see people react to it. But the, the, the beauty of the Hollywood Black Film Festival, I learned something else about myself here, is that my film was shown with like seven other people. And then at the end, 
we all stood up here, all of the filmmakers, right? It was like eight filmmakers total, including myself. And they asked us the question, what was the budget? And one guy stood up and said $50,000. Another guy stood up and said $75,000. Another guy stood up and said $23,000. Gets all the way down the line to me and they asked me how much I spent. And I said $997, right? So that's where the engineering thing sort of came in handy because my job at the time working at Lockheed Martin was to be able to take a budget Right. Let's say we were building something for the government and the government had gave us a $7 million budget. Well, my job is to figure out how can we build it and come in ahead of schedule and do it with the amount of money that they gave us or less so that we can get more business for them, you know, in the future. So it's managing a team of people and making sure that they're hitting their targets and making sure that they're not going over budget. So that same thing that I learned in the engineering world, I bring it over to the film world. And now I'm figuring out ways to make things but really cheap. And again, it goes back to that whole Detroit, gifted gab, charismatic thing. All of the engineers that I worked with just thought it was so cool that I was doing film stuff outside of engineering. So a lot of times if I needed to borrow a Benz or a Ferrari or an extravagant house, I would ask some of my coworkers, hey, you mind if I film at your house? Oh, you're going to film in my house? Oh, sure. Like it would almost be like, a, like they were doing me a favor or something like that, right? Because they just was honored to even be a part of this this project and it was cool. It was like living vicariously through me, you know what I'm saying? Because I was living my dreams, but I was also doing the nine to five. So that's what I learned about myself during that festival process is that not only was I able to put a film together, but figure out how to cut costs drastically. Man, I mean, that's a Detroit thing too, making the way out of nowhere, yeah. bro. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you joking offline about the Jay-Z line, you know, put us anywhere on God's green earth, you triple your worth. But I mean, bro, that's that's the Detroit thing, man. You know, you just yeah. stretching it out. <laughs> so your current project that you just put out was shot exclusively in the D. It's called Project yeah. 8. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to watch that and I don't want to give any spoilers and I don't want you to give any because we want people to watch it. But oh, I got you. Okay. Tell us more about the project and how it feels to bring it back home. Man, it felt good, man. At first, it was this thing where I didn't think I would be able to create here in Detroit and, and create something of the same quality as the stuff that I was doing in California. So that was a challenge in itself. Mm-hmm. Then I didn't know if I was going to find the right people, but these people kind of found me, man. The two leads that you saw... June Shelton and uh, Fatima Mitchum. Like I said, June was somebody who had saw my previous project nine months after. And he did a review on Instagram and somebody tagged me in it and was like, you gotta see this this guy's review of your project. And he was so animated and just fun. And I was like, man, who is this dude? So I ended up asking him like, man, where are you from? And this was after I had already moved back to Michigan. He was like, man, I'm from Detroit. And then at that point, my wheels started turning and I said, you know what, I'm gonna do a project with that brother. And then the young lady, Fatima, she had never acted before. June was already an actor, Fatima wasn't. But I heard her, she does these vlog videos, uh, Peace, Love and Artistry on YouTube. Her voice was so powerful and just, you know, I knew that her voice would be enough. And all I I needed was, was the voice because the character I had in mind was somebody who did video blogs. Right. And of course, if you're doing video blogs and you're speaking for a long time, you want to have a voice that's not irritating that, you know, she just had a very soothing voice. So these people kind of found me, man. And I met with them and then the story kind of started unraveling from that point. And then we started filming. And my whole goal was to just capture the beauty of Detroit and to show us in a different light. People who were hood people, but also smart and educated, wasn't out here trying to necessarily hurt people or glorify violence and this, that and the third. I grew up in the hood, but I was never up. 
So I wanted to represent that person and show Detroit in a, in a beautiful light rather than just the you know, Cardi's, the drugs, and you know all of this type of stuff. And that stuff is a part of the culture too, but I think we needed that balance. And I was just trying to come back and figure out what I could add. So that's, the, that's where Project 8 came out of. Yeah, yeah, and I love that the um, people that you casted, and, you know, them reaching out to you to have a beautiful chemistry. And again, I'm not going to spoil any of the film, but I also love the imagery of, you know, being in the D. They shouted out a place that's not too far from where I grew up, the <laughs> soul food place. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's right in the hood. That's on like Grand River, yeah. I think. So yeah. it represented Detroit, like you said, in a different light. And the people, who are a part of it, you know, they're speaking about investing in property and just kind of making those next steps, man. Like, yeah. you know, that's, it, that's it how, that's, And that's the other thing. I quit the job that I told you that moved me back to Michigan BAE Systems, I quit. So I moved back to Michigan January 2018 and I worked this job for eight months, right? Now my wife was pregnant with our daughter at the time we moved back. So my daughter came in March of 2018. And I can remember that week I took, I took off of work. And I was literally taking off and unplugging from, from, from the Matrix. I wasn't trying to do no work, take no calls, none of that. And I still ended up working 45 hours from home on a week I was supposed to be off. And my wife saw that it was taking a toll on me. And I just wasn't present when I was at home with my family because I'm working 60 hours a week physically at work. And then I would come home thinking about it. So that's even more time that was taking up mine. And my wife now, she had been home with our baby for some months. She getting ready to go back to work. And she said, just quit. And in my mind, I'm like, I've never, like, I've never been fired or laid off or anything, knock on wood. And I never walked away from a job and didn't have a better way. So this was a big move for me. And I literally quit. And I walked away from it. I took my, you know, put my two-week notice in, just like you saw the guy doing the mm-hmm. you know, first verse of the project. And, uh, and that's something that I wanted to talk about. So his story kind of mirrors mine. And her story, again, she was really pregnant when we filmed all of that. So when I met her, she was only two months pregnant. And I didn't know. And I can remember telling her about my idea for, for her character. And she just started, like, bawling in where, where we were meeting at. She didn't know me. First time ever meeting her in person. She doesn't mind me telling this story because we've told other people. And in my mind, I thought, man, if this girl barely knows me and she's able to be vulnerable like this, just imagine what I'll get from her on camera. So again, she started crying. I'm like, why are you crying? And she was like, oh, well, because I'm pregnant and you're so passionate about this project, so you can't possibly film me. I can't, I, I can't be a part of it if I'm pregnant. I'm like, all right, we'll just put that in the story. You know what I'm saying? And we ended up incorporating that into the storyline. So these are, re- it's almost like film, but it's reality too, because this stuff really happened to me, her, June even related to it a lot. So yeah, man, you talked about the, the real estate investing, you know, residual income through that. You talked about the vegan soul. We're talking about healthy eating. We're talking about breaking free from, you know, the corporate plantation. There's so many things in this and they're all positive things, which is why I broke it up into verses because it, it felt very biblical for me you know what i'm saying in a very Mm -hmm. modernized way and i just wanted to just drop some gems and and help people because again for me when i broke free it freed me man and don't get me wrong i'm working now but when i went back to work i went back with a different mindset in fact when i interviewed with the job that i'm with now i had requirements like if i have to work over 40 it ain't gonna work you know i got my kids they're young i want to be a part of their life so on and so forth so this job the work-life balance is a lot better but the beauty of it is is that when i quit the last job that's when me and my wife were able to purchase our first investment property now we have three now 
right? But this was back in 2018, 2020, two years later, we have, you know, a total of three. So it got me in the right mindset so that if I ever got to a point to where I didn't like something that had a job I was doing and didn't want to put up with their bullshit, I can walk away from it because I got these other streams of revenue that'll hold me over until the next day. So that's what I wanted to put in this project and I hope that it helps people. So. The music you chose, are these all Detroit artists? So it's this guy, I'm, and I'm going to go through each of them real quick. Lance Jackson, this dude is like 22, 23. So all the rap you heard was mm-hmm. from him. And I needed somebody with a young energy like the people in the in the, in the the project. They're in their 20s. I'm, you know, mid-30s guy. Mm-hmm. But I also needed somebody that's, that, uh, no offense to the young thuggers and the Uzi verse. I mean, I don't know all of them, but I needed somebody where, you know, I could understand what they were saying pretty much. And who has something to say, had a message, a positive message that went in line with the message of the project. So this guy ended up popping up on my Instagram page through an ad. And this song called Strolling, it was in verse five when it was in the park. I just heard this guy spitting on there and I'm like, who the hell is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I ended up hitting him up on DM and I said, hey man, I need this song. I need this. He was like, yeah, well, here go my number. We ended up talking. And then I said, hey, how much you gonna charge me for that? And he said, uh, about a hundred. I was like, I'll give you 300 for it. So every single person that's a part of this project, whether it's an actor or musician, I paid them everything that they was worth. And if they, if they, if they gave me a price that I felt was less than what they were worth, I went above that because I'm an artist, so I understand where they're coming from. And plus, the music was really dope, so I know what they put into it. So Lance Jackson was the first. And then we got the other girl, Kay Yvette, the other young lady. She's out of Dallas, but she's a nurse full time, right? So she's kind of just like me, where she's working a nine to five, but doing this as her passion. And then we got uh, Taliba Sophia, who I had worked with on many projects before. Then we got my cousin in there through marriage, his name is Chauncey Ball, and you know he did a few beats on there, and then this other guy by the name of Junie, who I who I had worked with many times before. So yeah, that's where I got the music from, and these are all artists in my mind who, like everybody don't know, but they're like one song away from being out there. No, that's dope, bro. Now the next thing I want to get to, since we were talking about music, I want to bring it back to the tray for a second, and this is one of my favorite segments on the podcast. Everybody that comes on the tray worldwide, I ask them this following question. If they had to identify a song, in their opinion, that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? So, David, I pose that question to you. This is my favorite segment, so you gotta surprise me. Mm, you know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with my girl. Mm. I'm gonna go with my girl by the Temptations. I mean, I grew up in a house where that's all they played was the Temptations, Smokey Robinson so on and so forth and for me I would say my girl because Detroit is that's what it represents for me I mean it's Detroit is my first it's the love of my life man and it's the reason why I am who I am and no matter where I went I brought that with me and there there would be times where I would meet people out in Arizona or LA and they would be like you you from Detroit right because they had already known people (laughs) who were from Detroit and and we just carry a certain thing so I would say Detroit that's my girl man and it's it's one of my first love man that's dope man you took it way back to the old school bro so we already uh, spoke about the project is out right now where can people find it I know it's available for streaming how can people access that People can access it on Vimeo On Demand. So if you go to vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash project eight, you can find it. Or if you go to my Instagram page at Timbridge Films, click the link in the bio, my link tree link will take you there as well. Okay, for sure. We'll make sure we get all of that in the show notes so that way people can access that. So what does the future look like for you, bro? 
man, the future right now is me working on the next project. And I already got an idea in mind that actually involves my wife. So she doesn't like really being in front of the camera like that, man. <laughs> but she's, she, she's kind of open to it because we got a pretty good thing going here, man, with our rapport being together since shit. I mean, I, I met her when she was 18. I was 19, you know, and we stood together two kids later and we had a lot of adversity bumps in the road but you know we made it to where we are now still not perfect but we committed to, to working to, to get better right so we want to show a lot of that man and because all of my stuff usually has a real element to it so how more real can you get in our own life so that's something that i'm working on right now but i'm also trying to promote what i'm doing right now which is why i'm doing an interview on this dope podcast that everybody have been telling me about with you it's my very first podcast and you know we just gonna keep pushing that and then of course man you know like i said me and my wife are doing the whole investment property stuff we're still dibbling and dabbling and doing that my wife is a dentist i support what she does wholeheartedly so She's getting ready to embark on her journey of starting her own practice. And when that comes out, I'll definitely reach back out to you and maybe we can get her on the show to tell her story, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I know you shouted out the um, social media as far as like your Instagram page, but where else can people find you? Like, uh, We're also on Twitter, too. So 10 Bridge Films, or I believe it's 10 Bridge underscore P-R-O-D, Pride, short for production. You can find us on Twitter as well. But between Twitter, Instagram, our link tree, which you can get through through the link in our bio on our Instagram page. That's pretty much the place you can find. I right, better that, better that. We'll make sure we get all of that in the show notes. So final question as we wrap up, that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? Mm. I would say Detroit, man, what's that? What's the lyric? What's that song called? I don't even know who's, who's singing, but it's get it, get it out the mud or something like that. Get it in the mud. I don't know. Man. It's one of the younger guys, man, that sings it. Maybe not. But uh, it's basically, that's what we rep- represent, being resilient, being able to face adversity and overcome it and come out on the other side stronger, man. And without Detroit, there's no way I'd be who I am now. And that's why I wanted to bring everything I had learned elsewhere back here to my people. Bro, I love it, man. Again, David, bro, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Love what you're doing. You got a supporter in me now. Let's not make this the only time that we work together because there's going to be some things man, I'm going to talk nah. to you about offline. I got your number now, man, so I'm going to be hitting you. going to be like, man, you're going to be like, that was only supposed to be for the podcast. Don't be calling me outside those hours. So, yeah, you're going to nah, get sick of me, man. <laughs> no, nah, it's all love, man. But keep up the good work, man. I'm glad that you're back in the DR. Again, the project is dope. I got to binge on the rest of your stuff because when you got a lot of shit, bro, like, I had to subscribe <laughs> on YouTube. I'm like, it's going to take me you forever to get through all like, this. I can't get to this in one night. Let me just go nah, ahead and nah. get yeah, man. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Thank you for that, for taking the time out, man. Like, that means, like, everything to me that you took the time out of your day to watch uh, Project Gate. Oh, man. No that's, no, that's all love, man. So, on behalf of David Tinsley, I am Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we're going to holler at y'all on the other side. Peace.